Well, good morning again. If you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at Ephesians today. We're continuing a series that we started in September in the book of Ephesians that we're calling A New Identity as we continue to try to replace uh, our old identity, our old way of thinking based on just what's right in front of us, our circumstances, highs, lows, whatever we may be going through in the moment. Uh, We tend to think of who we are based on that, but the scriptures challenge us in Ephesians to base our identity on what God has done for us. This God who who chose us, who adopted us, who loves us, who says, I'm going to make you my child. I'm going to forgive your sin, bring you into my family, and transform your life. And we have to continue to look back at his word so that we can be renewed in in realizing just how incredible that work is that God has done for us, and, and basing that new identity on his work and who God is and what he says about us. We're going to be today in Ephesians chapter 4, which if you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, we're going to be on page 978 in those black Bibles that you'll find under the chairs there, page 978. It's Ephesians chapter 4, and as we've been going through chapter 4, chapter 4 is really the pivot point from the, the real doctrinal emphasis at the beginning of Ephesians where it says, this is who Jesus is, this is who God is, this is who you are, this is what he's done for you, and we're pivoting now into the second half of the book where he really talks more about then what does that look like in our life? How's that going to come out? How are we going to live differently? This morning, we're talking about the idea of a new mind, that we have a new mindset that then directs how we actually live. There was an old mindset, and now there is to be a a new mindset. We have a new mind in Christ, and so we're going to follow this theme in Ephesians. It'll be in chapter 4. We'll start in verse 17 and read through verse 24, if you want to follow along with me. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So what he's saying is don't don't keep walking, don't live in those same old habits, those old ways. The word Gentiles, again, remember, is really just the word ethne in the Greek. So we get the word ethnic from that, right? It just means other nations. It just means whatever random tribe you came from, You now have a new tribe, and your tribe is son of God. Your tribe is adopted into God's family. So don't continue to walk in those futile ways, and he says, based on the futility of their minds, this empty mind. Verse 18 says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." As I said here, he's setting up the new way of living. We're not to live in the old way. Grace is so radical and it's so amazing that God comes to us and says, I recognize you're a sinner and I love you as you are. I've given myself to take care of your sin. And sometimes that that message can be twisted so that we say, because of God's love of us as we are, then we can remain as we are. But Paul says, no, the point is to, to be changed. He loves us as we are, you don't have to clean yourself up to be accepted by God. He took care of that process. Your, your sins were put on Jesus. So you don't have to 
perfect yourself to come before God. Jesus does that for you. Jesus brings us before God. So no, no amount of cleaning ourselves up can make ourselves acceptable before God. Only God can make us acceptable before God, and he accomplished that through the cross. But that doesn't mean he doesn't want us to change. He does want us to change. He wants us to begin loving each other well. He, he wants us to begin living according to his law, living in righteousness, being different, being holy. And so he says, put away that old mindset and put on the new self, the new mindset. Let me, let me pray for us, and we'll kind of dig into this in a little more detail. God, we thank you for your word to us, and we ask that your spirit would teach us. I pray that you would help us to understand what you have to say to us. Um, that you would clarify the things that need to be clarified and, and just help things to sink into our hearts. We ask for open ears and open minds and open hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I live in Harker Heights. My house is in Harker Heights. And so uh, every day I drive to work by going west, right? So Heights is east of here. The, the church, my office here, I have a little office back there in the back. It's, it's uh, west. So every day I get in my car and I drive west, right? Again. And again, now for years, we've been here, I guess over five years now in this building. And so just again and again, I turn west. I go west. That's how I get to work. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but then when I need to say we're going to see grandparents in Waco or Fort Worth, we need to go east to get on I-35. And and when I need to go east, then my body just naturally goes west again, right? My mind is just empty because I'm used to that decision already being made and my I just naturally turn west, you know, like the horse going back to the barn. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase before, but there's just this natural rhythm. You may have lived this out uh, with a, a clutch. If you've driven a clutch for a while, driven a, a, a stick shift, and then you get in an automatic and you're reaching for the clutch, but it's not there, right? And that's kind of, that's a mindset, but in a sense, it's an empty mind, right? And so we, we need to work at having the right mindset, thinking through which, which direction do we actually want to go? And, and Paul's reminding us here, the point is to go in this new direction. Thankfully, usually when we go visit grandparents, my, my wife is with me, so she can say, no, 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 not left, right. You know, she can remind me we're turning the other way. And Paul is here to remind us. He's saying, don't, don't turn back. Don't go back home where you used to go. Don't go to your old haunts, but go to this new place. He wants us to live in a new way. And, and I want you to understand that if you're still struggling with this and, and you're still living in old ways, but wanting to understand what it means to live in a new way, you're, you're welcome here. You're, you're welcome here if, if you're at this point or this point, wh- wherever you are in your growth, you're, you're welcome here. But I, but I want to challenge you this morning that the, the more you learn about Jesus, the more you understand who he is, he's going to begin to mess with your life. He, he's going to begin to change you. And, and that's what Paul is saying here, that Jesus takes hold of our life and he begins to transform us so that we no longer have that old mindset. We have now a new mindset and he leads us in new directions but the first thing i want us to understand about the old mindset which i think is where paul starts is that the old mindset is a is a mindset of ignorance it literally if, if you were to kind of linguistically break this down you've got ig which means no right and then norance is from knowledge so you've got no knowledge okay it's just it's emptiness ignorance is just there's nothing there okay and again i don't mean to insult you if if, if you're not a follower of christ um, th- this, is, this is how we understand the world, and we'd love to talk to you more about this after the service. But, but Paul says that there's an emptiness there. There's an empty-mindedness, kind of like when I just, I just go in my natural direction. I turn west instead of turning east when I need to. There's just an emptiness there, not really thinking 
it through. He, he says it this way in verse 17, the end of 17, that first verse he said, don't walk as they do in the futility of their minds, right? Futility is kind of this meaninglessness, right? Uh, digging a hole for no reason. It's this futility. You're just going through the motions. And then he explains it a little more in verse 18. In verse 18 he says, they are darkened in their understanding. So there's, there's this veil over the ability to understand things. It says, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Just really interesting parallel in, in Romans 1 that describes the exact same thing that's going on here. In, in Romans 1, what it describes is that we see God in the world. When we look at creation, we, we just know He is. Romans 1 says it's just clear and you can't deny it. He's there. We know He's there. We see that He's made all these beautiful things. And then what Romans 1 goes on to say is that we harden our hearts and suppress the truth. We, we push it down. So we don't really start off ignorant. There's, there's some shift, there's some point in our life where we say, I don't, I don't want to know that. I don't want to know Him. I, I want to know me. I want to go my own way. I want to be my own God. I want to be my own ruler. And so the Romans 1 says we suppress the truth. We deny the Creator even when it's obvious to see, even when we just know He's there. One of the jokes that I've, I've heard from a few different people is that there's, there's two truths to atheism. The first one is there is no God, and the second one is I hate Him. And, and so there's this very personal idea there of I don't want to know Him. I, I refuse to believe it. We suppress the truth. We push it down, and what happens is our heart gets hard, and we start to lose the ability to know him. I mean, I don't know when that shift takes place, but somewhere we become callous, we become hardened, we become darkened, and we can't really know truth properly at all anymore. There's a way that this is described beautifully in a, in a book, if I can find it. Here it is. A book by C.S. Lewis. You know, he's the guy that wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and the Narnia stories that have recently been made into movies. And one was a prequel he did, kind of showing where it all began. And it's called The Magician's Nephew. And if you know the stories at all, it's like a fantasy world where Jesus, or God, is represented by this big lion who is kind of the God in charge of everything, and he's kind but also scary. And he's the one that creates everything and created Narnia. And in The Magician's Nephew, they have a little kind of creation story. And what they describe is this uh, magician, the title's about this magician, right, named Uncle Andrew, who, who refuses to accept, who refuses to recognize who... Aslan, the lion, is. And so it's really kind of a story way, a narrative way of describing what Romans 1 talks about. That all of us see God creating and we say, no, I refuse to believe that. So I'm going to just read this to you. It says, and the, kind of the way this proceeded is, the lion actually sings to create. So it takes Genesis 1 and it kind of, again, changes that into story form where this lion sings the world into being. It says, when the lion had first begun singing, long ago when it was still quite dark, he had realized that the noise was a song, and he had disliked the song very much. So this is Uncle Andrew. It made him think and feel things he did not want to think and feel. Then when the sun rose and he saw that the singer was a lion, only a lion, as he said to himself, he tried his hardest to make believe that it wasn't singing and never had been singing only roaring as any lion might in a zoo in our own world. Of course it can't really have been singing, he thought. I must have imagined it. I've been letting my nerves get out of order. 
Who ever heard of a lion singing? And the longer and more beautiful the lion sang, the harder Uncle Andrew tried to make himself believe that he could hear nothing but roaring. Now the trouble about trying to make yourself stupider than you really are is that you very often succeed. (laughs) Uncle Andrew did. He soon did hear nothing but roaring in Aslan's song. Soon he couldn't have heard anything else, even if he had wanted to. And when at last the lion spoke and said, Narnia, awake, he didn't hear any words. He heard only a snarl. I read that to you because I think it's a beautiful way of retelling this reality, but also I read it to you as a warning because the more we deny the singing that we hear, the less we'll be able to hear it. So the way Paul describes this is this ignorance, this futility where we we shut down what we're hearing. And as we do that more and more, we begin to lose the ability to hear the music at all. Paul says, don't don't go back there. That's where you were. Drive this other way now. Go in this new direction. If you're in that place personally struggling to acknowledge who God is and what he's done and that he sings at all, I would challenge you, first of all, to to acknowledge what deep down part of you knows is there, and maybe you're afraid to hope. And what I would really encourage you to do is to doubt your own doubts. Because all of us have faith statements. All of us have beliefs that we're basing our life on. All of us have some kind of faith that drives us. Things that we trust about reality. I would challenge you that, that atheism is, is not the default, but it's just another set of faith and, and belief statements. It's, it's a faith about reality. So I challenge you to doubt your doubts. That, that's what I would ask, that you would investigate. Could this thing that you think is too silly to hope be true? The, the next thing that we see as we look at this, well, I had a picture of Uncle Andrew to show you there too. There's an original illustration from the 50s. That's him running away from the animals in the creation story. The next thing that Paul describes with this old mind is that it's a mind of sensuality. The old mind is a mind of sensuality, and it's a really interesting uh, contrast, kind of a, a uh, irony or juxtaposition that we see here in the text. So if you look at verse 19, he shows how these two things you wouldn't think necessarily go together go together. Verse 19, he says, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And so he says our our lust for what we would call immorality or impurity, our our greed for more, I must have more, uh, what we often describe as addiction, right? Being addicted to sensual pleasures. He says is actually based on a a callousness, right? So you've got this kind of contrast. Callousness means you can't really feel things, right? Like when you get calluses, I will calluses here on my hands you know from doing things and so my hands are just a little tougher there right I, I i feel less here where the calluses are than i do here where the fingertips are uh, callousness implies that there's there, there's been a toughening a hardening there like going back to the verse before it said a hardening of the heart a darkening of the understanding yet yet in that we become more and more given over to sensuality what you see uh, again and again with any addiction is that the, the more you pursue it, the less you can appreciate it and enjoy it. And so it's this terrible cycle of needing more and needing more. Uh, this word that appears again and again in the New Testament is uh, often 
uh, desires. It comes later in the next few sections here, in the next few verses, deceitful desires. We have these lusts or these kind of I must have it feelings, right? I must have this to have life. I must have this to be happy. And the more we pursue those things, the more we pursue the created things instead of the creator, we, we lose our sensitivity. We lose our ability to enjoy those great things. I had a picture here of, of taste buds. Um, those kind of look like things that grow in the ocean, right? But these are a highly magnified uh, view of taste buds. Now, and I'm not a taste bud expert, so if we have a tongueologist, maybe you can correct me after the, after the service. But my understanding is, a, a friend told me, um, that if you, ha- like, if you uh, like bitter things, you actually have less bitter taste buds. Or if you like or crave salty things, you actually have less salty taste buds. So you can't taste it as much, so you crave more of it. And I just use that as an illustration here, again, of we have this desire, and the more we desire sensual things, the more we're satisfied with the gifts instead of the giver of gifts, the more we're satisfied with, as Romans 1 says, the created things, the here and now, instead of the creator of all things, the more we lose the ability to even enjoy those things. And so I just want to, again, appeal to you, don't go back to that way of living. Paul's saying don't, don't go there to that sensual mind where you're just obsessed and you have this greed and this need for more, thinking that is where life is found. But find your life in Christ. Find your life in God. The more you actually find your life in God, you actually have a better ability to taste the good things He gives us here and now. Right, one of the great ways to practice and grow in this area is fasting. I just want to recommend fasting as a spiritual discipline. And what I'd like to do is outline to you kind of two ways of viewing fasting. There's one way to view fasting that I would call a uh, kind of hyper-religious view of fasting or a legalistic view of fasting. And that view is that you think that you can do religious things and impress God or do religious things and impress other people and God. And so you do fasting as really a display of your own spiritual muscles, you know, kind of like spiritual bodybuilding. You're trying to kind of show off a little bit, maybe impress yourself, impress others, impress God. And you think that God's going to be more pleased with you because of that. I'd encourage you not to go that route because Jesus condemns that with the the Pharisees and the religious people in the first century. He says you do things to impress God, but, but your heart is far from him. What the Bible communicates is that Jesus is who allows us to impress God by taking our sin upon himself and by giving us his perfect righteousness. And so by faith in him, by faith in his substitution and his provision on the cross, we can be completely loved and accepted by God. We can, we can live in his presence. And so then fasting merely becomes an exercise to appreciate that. It becomes really like a tool of prayer where when you fast, when you go without something that has some addictive power over you, you're setting it aside to more focus on God and that he's really, you set aside food to say, God's my true food, right? You set aside a TV to say, God is my true pleasure. You set aside whatever it is that may have power over you, right? Uh, Facebook. Right? You, set, you set aside something that you're addicted to and you say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad and I'll never do this again. I'm saying that I'm going to set aside temporarily for, for prayer and so I can better enjoy and appreciate who God is as an exercise. And then those things you've set aside, they, they taste better in the end because you can appreciate them as they're made to be appreciated in, in moderation, in covenant boundaries, according to God's law, according to what He says, 
you begin to understand. You begin to get it. As his child, you know, that growing process we go, go through as children, we begin to get it and go, oh, my, my parents were right. They actually did love me. It's, it's not good to eat 10 pounds of candy every day, right? You know, I mean, you start to realize they had some wisdom. And we grow in our relationship with our Heavenly Father and begin to realize that His law and His righteousness and the way He tells us to live in the world actually works and makes sense and it's good and we appreciate Him more and more. And we begin to love, again, the giver more than the gifts. And we begin to love the Creator more than the created things. God says the created things are good. He says the gifts are good, but they have to be enjoyed as, as gifts from Him, not as ultimate things, not as God's, not as the thing that's going to give us life. So that's what helps us move beyond that sensuality. The, the last thing I want us to think about is how Paul calls us then to the new self. So what is this new mind? What is this new self that he's describing? I titled the sermon New Mind because that's where it starts. It talks about don't go back to that old futility of mind that you had before, right? But then in the end, uh, Paul starts mixing metaphors, mixing ideas like he does a lot. You know, he has layers, overlapping ideas on top of each other. And so he starts talking about the self and other aspects of our humanity and our soul. Well, I think a lot of us, when we think of mind, we think of the brain, right? Some of you, uh, probably not all of you, but a lot of us, when we think of mind, the mind, we think of the calculating tool that God has put in our, our head, right? We have this great computer that he's given us. We live in a very kind of scientific age where we tend to think in, in chemical and scientific ways about, okay, the brain can reason and think, and that's what it does. But I want to challenge you that biblically, uh, the Bible's not, not so limiting, Right? The Bible is actually much more expansive. And when the Bible talks about our mind, it, it's really an overlap with our heart. When the Bible talks about our heart, it's really an overlap with our mind and how we reason. And, and these things make up our, our self, who we are. So that's the way Paul describes it here. In Ephesians 4.20, he talks about this, this new us, this new mind. It's, an, it's a new self. Ephesians 4.20 says, But that is not the way you learned Christ. And he emphasizes here, again, that it's not just a list of doctrines on a page. It's not a calculating tool that acknowledges, that gives mental assent to a list of proper doctrines, right? That's part of it, but that's not only what it is. You learned Christ, a person. He reinforces it with the next verse. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So truth is important, mind is important, and, and we will challenge you, and we, we're just going to fill the worship services here with Bible and with doctrine, and, and we want to change our minds in a rational sense, but also recognize that that spills over into our whole self, into, into who we are, what we love, what we delight in, what makes us laugh, what makes us cry. It, it all, it's all connected because he's a person. The truth is a person. He's a whole person. So Verse 20 says, that's not how you learned Christ. That word learned is, is literally mon, montana, which is, is like the uh, verb form of disciple, right? So that's not how you were discipled into Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him. That other word taught is the word we would often use for doctrine, right? There is doctrine, there is truth we need to learn. But again, it says the truth is in Jesus. He's the truth. I mean, if, if you have to boil it down, it's, it's him. Okay? If you have to have a most important doctrine, it's just it's Jesus. He says in verse 22, to put off your old self, 
which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Right? So there's a corrupting that's taken place. We, we don't work right anymore. Jay Bujaszewski is a, uh, a Christian professor at UT. I think he's still at UT. He's been at UT in the past. Um, he is a philosopher, and he has written some good books and some good articles. And he talked about when he was an atheist that basically what he had to do to be an atheist is to be like Uncle Andrew, to be like the description in Romans 1. He had to basically pull the wiring out of his brain. He had to suppress this past. And what this is describing in Ephesians 4.22 is that we have this former way of life that is corrupt. We're not working right anymore. We're broken because we've gone through this ripping apart, you know, in order to not believe that God is good and not believe that God created everything, I have to start denying reality. I have to start becoming a broken self and not living in tune with the world that is. And it breaks us into pieces. We, we stop functioning properly. You know, like I was trying to describe this idea of our mind being one with our heart and self. That, that is the way it's supposed to be. Now, the, the Bible talks a lot about component parts. The Bible, you know, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. You know, there's places where the Bible seems to break us up into pieces, right? But if you read all those, if you compile all of those, it does it differently everywhere you look. They're always overlapping pieces. And what we learn when we look back into Genesis 1 and as we see the whole together is that we're supposed to be a whole. We're supposed to function properly. We're supposed to love what is good. We're supposed to know the truth. We're supposed to delight in the truth. So our our emotions, our affections, our mind, our reasoning, our bodies, it's all supposed to work together. It's all supposed to work together. But as long as we have these deceitful desires that say, you know what? True life is found in this. Our true life is found in that. Those desires become addictions which break us and we begin to not work properly anymore. It says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Again, he's kind of mixing these concepts talking about mind. He's talking about spirit. We need to be renewed. There needs to be a newness that takes place. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We we are to be like God. We are to reflect Him. We are to live in a new way. We are to live according to His laws and His rules of governing the universe. We don't apologize for that. So the trick for us as Christians is to pursue his law and try to live in new ways, but also show the same graciousness that he shows with us. It says, while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, so we're supposed to love other people that are maybe in a different place than us and say, well, this person doesn't live exactly the same way I do. They don't honor God the way I do, or they don't believe in his law the way I do, but I'm still to love them just as God first loved me, right? We love because he first loved us. He came to us even when we were sinners. He didn't wait until we cleaned ourselves up. And so the trick for us as a community of people is that we would love each other no matter where we are in that process, but also encourage each other instead of going left to go right and turn the right direction. Because I started off, you know, my mind, I'm just, I'm always turning here. I'm always turning here. Sometimes I need to turn this way. And I need to be reminded of the direction I actually want to go. I need to be reminded of the direction where there is actual hope. There is real hope life. And he says, that's really what we were made for is people were really made to live righteous, to love what is good, to celebrate God, to love other people. Jesus summed it all up as love God and love your neighbor. That's what we're made for. And so we have to have this new self. We have to put it on. We have to purpose to remember all that he said in chapter one, two, and three. 
that he's a loving God, that he's a holy God, that he's adopting God, that he's made us his children through Christ. And as we remember that, then we begin to see the world rightly. Alistair McGrath is a theologian, and the way he describes it is that this renewing of the mind, right, this renewing of the spirit of your mind, or as Paul says in Romans 12, renewing our mind in truth, he says it's like re-grinding the lenses of our mind. So those of you that wear glasses, you couldn't just take someone else's glasses and put them on, right? You need to have your prescription so you can see properly. And, and this process in the Christian life is that we continue to re-grind, we continue to uh, readjust how we see the world based on what he says, based on his truth, so we can see the world properly, so we can love things properly, love him properly, love other people properly. I'll finish with, with Romans 12. If you want to flip there, it's another parallel. Romans is kind of like uh, the long version of a lot of what we have in Ephesians. It's page 947. And here again, Paul kind of mixes these different things together, mind and soul and body and what we love. He says in Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So he starts with the motivation of God's mercy. He starts with because of what Jesus has done for you, then present your body in obedience and start living in a new way as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Interesting, the Greek word that they translate here, spiritual, is, is logical, basically, your, your reasonable worship. And they translate it spiritual because, again, in the Greek, those are overlapping concepts because it's contrast with body. You could, you could contrast that and say spiritual instead of body when really we would think logical as, as just cold reason, right? But in the scriptures, there are these overlapping understandings. Verse 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So we start to live in a new way. We start to put, a, put away our old habits and start to live as Christians, live uh, righteously by renewing our minds. We renew our minds by understanding the truth and understanding what he said to us. Again, starting with the mercies of God. That's where we start. We start with the gospel, with the God that loves us. And he says, then you'll be able to test and discern what's the will of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and functions do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of the other. So he's saying, remember God's mercy to you. And when you remember his mercy, when when the gospel, the the good news of God who loves you, motivates you, then that's going to push you out to live in a new way. You're going to begin to offer your body in obedience, right? And that's also going to be a part of the process is, is the renewing of your mind. You're going to be, as Alistair McGrath says, regrinding the lenses of your mind. You're going to begin to see things differently. You're going to continually be putting off your old mind that said salvation is in this and putting on the new mind that understands that salvation is in God and God alone. It's in Christ and what he's accomplished for. You're going to, going to begin seeing the world differently. That's why we encourage you to learn the truth, to understand the truth, but also to love the truth. I mean, part of what we do in corporate worship is we come together to delight in the truth. Music is a very emotional experience. And it can be a negative experience for some of you, if you, you know, if you don't love the music, right? But the, the goal is that we're trying to give you an experience of loving the truth. 
of delighting in who Jesus is. And again, remember the truth is just not facts out there floating abstractly. The truth is Jesus, the God who became man and gave himself for us. And so we want to renew our minds by learning the truth and by loving the truth and by obeying the truth with our bodies, with our lives. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us, and I pray that you would help us to walk in in newness. I pray that you would help us as a community to be people that that live in new ways and and actually do what's right, actually live righteously, actually uh, we're a community of, of justice and compassion and holiness but also a community that embraces everyone, that, that welcomes those who have different understandings than us. Help us to love our neighbors well. Help us in all this, God, to be recreated in righteousness, to be like you, to look like your son, Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, remember, don't walk anymore as everyone else does, but walk in this newness. Put on the new self to be remade in Christ's image. God bless you. You may be dismissed.